Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. I just, I was, I was in my element. Shauna had all the kids here because our daughter, Summer Kate, she grew up in youth ministry. And we started thinking about Canyon and then our twins, Rivy and Coastland. We kind of transitioned here um, as Canyon was born. So none of our other three have really been around youth ministry. And so they were all in the room. Canyon was just standing there with a bag of Cheetos, just watching kids go ham. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, that's how I want him raised. I want him raised in the presence of God, seeing passion and hunger of a generation in front of him going after Jesus, not going after the world. And that's why the first song we did said, you can tell the world, keep the fake love, because I've been brand new since I woke up. And when you wake up in Jesus, everything changes. And so look, we're going after a generation, amen? And if you were here last Sunday, Taylor preached, Pastor Taylor preached an incredible word called How to Steward a Generation. Anybody enjoy that? Um, just powerful message. If you didn't listen to it, go to the podcast, listen to it. And it was just really cool because the Lord put us um, in a place this month, and if you haven't been here all month, um, we normally preach series. We're starting a new series next week called Blessed Are Those. We're going to talk about blessing all month long in November. It's going to be super powerful. But for the month of October, I just felt the Spirit of God say, like, hey, just, just let me, I'll tell you where we're going to go. And each week, it kind of turned into this how-to. Week one, how to fight loneliness. And Last week with Taylor, I was just like, man, what's God's put on your heart? He was like, man, I just preached this message the Lord gave me called How to Steward a Generation. I was like, dude, we're doing our first middle high school night that night. That's the Lord. Like, you've got to preach that message. And today, um, you know, our Voyagers are back there dressed up. Um, all of our Voyager people are dressed up back there, which is incredible. I don't know if you saw, anybody saw Jonathan, who's running security today in the kids' wing. He dressed up in, like, almost like secret service outfit. It's incredible, and he's just standing there. Um, I think I might ask him to do that every Sunday. It just looks legit. But um, obviously Halloween's tomorrow, and I just, as I was preparing for today, um, I know that there, sure, we can, we can dress up once a year, um, you know, and, and do the Halloween thing, but the reality is deep down, spiritually, um, a lot of us are really, really good at dressing up every day of the year. Really good in certain aspects of our lives to put on a mask, right, fake it till you make it, and that does so much damage to the heart of an individual because there is a unique design by God for each and every one of us that many of us cover up. I used to tell young people all the time, dude, the, if you spend so much time trying to be someone else, there's only one of you. God did not make another one of you, right? Even if you're a twin and we have twins, they're unique, right? I can, right now, I can tell if Rivi and Coastland start crying, I can tell you which one's crying, right? I can, there, there's a uniqueness about each of them. There's not another one of them. And when you spend time trying to cover up the unique you that God made you to be, the unique you is missing in the earth, and you are needed. There's a specific purpose on your life that is needed, but so many of us, because of pain, struggles, difficulty, addictions, we put on a mask, and we're really good at being something that we're not just so that we can make it. I would uh, say something a little bit different than fake it till you make it. I think Jonathan really just walked us through it spiritually. Um, I always tell Summer Kate, hey, baby, sometimes you got to faith it till you make it. We're not being fake, but it's by faith going, hey, I'm, I'm walking through the valley of hell right now. The Bible says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But by faith, you're saying I'm walking through it. I'm coming out on the other side. There's a faith attached to making it, but many of us are faking it, and we're not getting the God given potential and purpose that is in our life to come out because we're covering it up. 
And so today I'm going to preach a message called How to Take the Mask Off. How to Take the Mask Off. And uh, I, I, I think it kind of fits, and I will wear the Mandalorian helmet, but not at the moment because, uh, well, you'll see why. It would be a very rough message to wear that the entire time, I promise. Will you pray with me real quick? Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you are the one who leads and guides in all truth. God, we thank you for your word that is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, that it would pierce to the heart. God, that it would separate that which is not of you. And God, reveal to us that which is of you. God, the things that have maybe held us back. God, the, the struggles and the difficulties. God, the sin that so easily entangles us and trips us up. God, as the writer of Hebrews would say, God, that we would just throw off every weight that so easily entangles us. God, that today, God, if there's those of us who are wearing a mask, if we have one that we put on sometimes and take off at other times, God, I pray that today would be a day, God, that we learn by your word, by your spirit, how to take it off. God, that we can be the people you created us to be. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen. If you are new here, I know I didn't introduce myself. My name is John Teal. My wife, beautiful lady that was up here, we're the lead pastors here. And so thank you if it's your first time for coming and hanging out. If you didn't connect with anybody, there's a table right here on your way out, connect card, or even on your way out front, there'll be somebody. We'd love to just connect with you, get some information, because we'd love to touch base with you, because this isn't just about you being a number that comes to the door. We want to make sure that we can do our job as pastors and then as leaders in our church to steward people and walk with you through life, not just you show up on a Sunday and then say, see you next week. Amen. There's something about community and family. So if you give us the opportunity to do that, we would be grateful. But let's jump in. I'm going to read you a scripture real quick um, as we get ready to, to unpack some things. But Romans chapter 12, verse 9, I'm going to read out of the TPT, which is the Passion Translation. Um, several theologians got together, and the Passion Translation is actually what they have done. Um, Old Testament is Hebrew, New Testament is Greek. But what Jesus would have spoke would have been Aramaic. That would have been the language of the day. And so they took the TPT and they actually translated it from the Aramaic just to unpack some things. I would not tell you in this room that it's the best thing to study for the, for the super deep, um, clear revelation of Scripture. But I do think it expounds some interesting thoughts in the way the language would have come out in the day. And so listen to Romans 12, 9 in the TPT. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. Notice it's the inner movement. It's not just something fake on the outside, just like try to like show people, act like you love them. No, it's the inner movement of your heart. It's what's coming from the depth of who you are. And then it says, and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. I don't know if, uh, if we're a little honest, but you ever walked up in church, people have been like, how you doing? You're like, good. Just cussed my husband out in the parking lot. Good. Right? I don't know if you've ever done it. Right? Everybody's a saint in here. Um, but... We're really good at saying we're good when we're not good. And the scripture, in our culture, our culture loves love. But they don't love, at an they don't love love at an unconditional level. They love love at a level of conditions. I'll love you if you agree with me here. But the love that, the only love, right, which is God, the Bible says that God is love. Real love is unconditional. There are no conditions put on this thing. Some of you in this room have never felt true unconditional love. You were maybe even raised by parents who had trauma and pain and hurt, and maybe you grew up around parents who put a mask on all the time, and everybody in town thought your parents were so great, but you were with them behind closed doors. You had encounters and experiences that you're like, that's not who they are, and everything about the way they love me is based upon a condition. If I'm good and things are good, then it's good, but if it's not good, I don't even know if they're for me. And that's not the love of God. 
And so it's telling us we have to let the inner movement of our heart always be to love one another. And the only way you do that is if you know the love of God, but never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. I would much rather this hallway be filled with people sitting on the benches as service is beginning because people are weeping and someone's praying with them before a service has ever started because someone said, how are you today? And they looked at them with tears coming down their face and said, not good. I'm struggling right now. That's the kind of church that Jesus died for. Not a church like, yeah, we're fine, we're good. No, a church that says, I'm not good right now. I'm going through some stuff. And then someone who has a little bit of maybe an extra measure of faith that says, yes, and I'm going to pray with you because you're getting through this. And you're not walking through it alone. And so we don't wear a mask. And then it says, despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Isn't it interesting that the way the scripture unpacks is it's saying don't Play the role of where, don't play the role of an actor wearing a mask, but despise evil. Therefore, many of us would think, here's Halloween, right, showing up tomorrow, and everyone's like, evil is everything demonic, um, and you know, all the stuff that is intentionally dark and scary. Dude, Satan is crafty. The Bible says he was more beautiful than any other creature. It's enticing. I find it interesting that it says don't wear a mask and despise what it is evil, because sometimes the most evil thing is acting like you're good when you're not. It's the most evil and dangerous thing to literally allow the spirit of manipulation to allow you to live life making everyone think, I mean, Instagram and Facebook, right? Show the best, hide the rest. Look at my kids. They're so cute in their costumes. Almost kicked Jimmy over, though, but he's cute. Like, and, and I'm not saying, don't, please don't get on Facebook and be like, hey, I just kicked my kid through the front door. Don't do that, okay? There will be problems and no, I don't have any, like, credentials to be able to handle things at that level, okay? Um, what I'm saying is it's interesting that we associate evil with things that are dark and manipulative in terms of trying to hurt someone, which, yes, that is evil. But according to this scripture, it's, hey, don't wear a mask because we have to despise what is evil. Because at the core, to make someone think you're something that you're not is evil because it's not God's intention. Anything outside of God's intention is evil, okay? And so um, last week, as Pastor Taylor unpacked the idea of um, stewarding a generation, as we talk about how to take off the mask, I want to walk us through something. Um, and I, I want to unpack this thought, and then I'll read you a scripture about a man named Jairus and a woman who had an issue for 12 years, and I want to kind of show you a few things scripturally. But what I find interesting about church, and, and, and I think a lot about church. I grew up in a traditional background. Um, our church is not traditional, obviously, you can tell. Um, but as I say that, in a sense, there are traditions here, like really good, wholesome, biblical, godly traditions. I mean, the book of Acts says that the people met together. They broke bread. We do that during the week if you're in one of our groups. We eat together. It says they devote themselves to the word of God. We're devoted to the word of God. It says they gathered in the temple courts and they worshiped and prayed. We gather here. At, we're, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit now in the new covenant, but we gather here and we worship and we pray. Those are some really good traditions. They are. Those are good. What happened is, is man got in, in a little too involved with some traditions and said, well, it has to sound this way. It has to look this way. It has to sound like this. It's going to be built on this doctrine that might not necessarily be theologically correct, but we're really scared of that doctrine, so we're going to make a doctrine opposite. Doctrine just means a belief, okay? Certain kind of belief, a strongly held belief. We're going to create one that's opposite of that because we're so scared of that that we're going to be dogmatic and stand here, and these traditions get built, and then what happens is you have people full of church, and I posted this on my Instagram yesterday, life's too short for boring church. 
I'm sorry. We, if we're going to be in church, and this is what Jesus died for, and he is the king of kings, and he gives joy, dude, we, we're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy the life that God's given us, amen? But here's what is interesting about traditions, and I want you to see this because I think maybe you grew up in a traditional background, and maybe you're in this church because you're like, dude, I just couldn't take it anymore because of this, because of this. I just would like to warn you today that I think there's a tradition that many of us hold to that is that has the potential to make it to the next generation if we don't learn this truth today. Write this down if you're taking notes. One generation's habits become another generation's traditions. One generation's habits become another generation's traditions. And what I mean by that today is I'm not talking about like your church had to have an organ in it. Um, and maybe you're here like, bro, I didn't even grow up in church. You're in a great spot because what you get to do is fall in love with Jesus and you don't get caught up in any of the religious jargon. You're just falling in love with who he is. But you have to know that, yes, it is important that you're involved in church because Jesus died for his church, okay? He said, I will build my church. Void's church is not John's church. It's not Shauna's church. It's Jesus's church. He died for it, and he said he would build it, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are there habits in our lives that could become traditions of the next generation that we don't want them to carry? And when I look at a church like this, I'm not worried about the music, you know, being old school. While some of this music could eventually in 20 years, people are like, man, you sing Waymaker? Oh, my gosh, right? Um, and then we sing Waymaker, and if you went and played that at a more traditional church, they'd be like, tone it down, rock band, you know? Like, and and there's, I'm just saying, there's just different levels, and it's fine. Everybody likes their thing. But what I'm more concerned about is not an organ or the way someone passes an offering bucket. I'm concerned about the habit of wearing a mask and it becoming a tradition of the next generation. Oh, yeah, well, I go to church because I know it's the right thing to do, but I watch my parents. We just show the best and hide the rest. Their habit became my tradition. And can I just say today can be a day that you literally learn how to take the mask off and the habit of being vulnerable, the habit of being open and honest and real with people, which is what our culture wants. Like, if anybody is interested in social media, I'm just going to be honest, I'm like, showing that I am getting older and I don't like to admit it, but I'm 34 and I do Facebook, Instagram, and I'm just kind of like TikTok. And then I'm hanging out with some young guys the other day and I was like, hey bro, like if we had a social media account that you would follow for Royal Night, what would it be? They're like, oh, TikTok for sure. I was like, dang it, I'm getting old. So then I went and found some college students in our church. I was like, hey, you're gonna probably run a TikTok for our church because I'm not doing it. Why do people love TikTok though, which is interesting? Because I fell in love with Instagram early college days because I like to doctor up a picture and make it look, you know, the sunset. And you like add way too many layers. And if you saw it in person, you're like, that didn't look like that at all. They like TikTok because of how raw it is. Like no one's actually running those edits through a computer. Like they're doing that on their phone. It, it's, it doesn't have a whole lot of filters. If it has a filter, everyone knows it. Like there's an intentionality behind it. They like it because it's real, and it's because they were created by a God who is real, and they're now getting to a point where they're craving something that is real, and my fear is that the older ones, the more seasoned folks in the room, I'll put myself in that category for the time being, realizing I'm, I'm not Gen Z. That's the generation that we had in this room last, uh, last weekend. I'm fearful that we've created a habit of wearing a mask and that it could become their tradition when if we look at their generation, they're literally showing us we just want something real. I'll never forget this statement a leader told me one time. Because, you know, when you lead people, and Sean and I have been doing it for over a decade, but it can be scary. Like, I, I, I'm not perfect. I can't say everything perfectly. There's someone in here today that could walk out and be like, oh, I don't like how he said that. Well, you 
probably going to come back a lot of weeks and not like how I said stuff. But if we're preaching out of the word of God, that's what you need to like. That's what you need to align with, okay? But when you're a leader, it's sometimes scary. Like, you want to be right. And I'll never forget, a mentor of mine looked at me. He said, John, people will follow a leader who's always real rather than one who's always right. Moms, dads, your kids will live the life that they see you living, not because you're always right, but because you're always real. Dads, I I can tell you from experience in the past year moving here, treating my six-year-old in some ways of some things that just I caught on to growing up and finding myself on my knees in the entryway of our bathroom, weeping to my five-year-old saying, baby, I'm so sorry I talked to you that way. And I did it because of some things that I've caught and some tradition that I've lived out that is not God's heart for me or for you. And it's going to be humbling to be that real. But I'm telling you, that is the kind of freedom that God desires. So what kind of traditions, what kind of habits do we have that will be traditions later? And before I read this big passage, um, just to define a mask for you today, okay, I like to give a little definition In just Webster's Dictionary definition, it says, a mask is a disguise, a veil. Everyone say veil. That'll make sense later. A false face. A false face, right? And and I want everyone to be clear. We're talking about it in a spiritual sense, right? Ladies, no one's telling you, like, don't wear makeup, okay? That's that's not this kind of church, all right? You do you, boo-boo. I don't care. Um, But I'm just saying that spiritually, deep down, in, in your soul, your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. It's where your personality exists. Are you really being you? When was the last time you were you? When was the last time you felt safe to be you? And I'm telling you that that happens in the kingdom of God. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to read you verses 21 through 43 all at one time. Yeah, we're going to read a lot of scripture in the church. You know, listen to like churches that try to be like, um, I don't even know, I guess they try to like grow their church by doing everything opposite of scripture. And I'm just like, bro, we ain't got anything else that works except for scripture. So we're just going to hold to it. So I'll just tell you what I tell teenagers. If someone falls asleep next to you, Judy, chop them in the throat. No falling asleep during the word of God, okay? Um, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Let's read this together. Um, I'm reading out of the NLT, um, if you're wondering if it sounds a little different than maybe what you've got in front of you. Jesus got into the boat again. Now, I have to tell you again is because if you actually go read all this, it's pretty crazy that he fed a whole bunch of people with a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. And then he put the disciples in the boat and they went across and then he went up to pray and then he walked on the water and then he got in the boat and they ended up on the other side. And then he did some miracles. Now he's getting back in the boat to go back to the other side. And it says, it's like Jesus is just like ping ponging back and forth across this water. And it says, Jesus got in the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, meaning this is a religious man, okay? This is a religious person. They're locked up by religion. They do everything by rules and regulations. They don't do anything by relationship with God. They do everything by rules with God, okay? Which is not God's heart. God wants relationship. So he's a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus. He arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. Now, I need you to see this like you're watching a Netflix scene. Like, if someone reads the scripture in church, like, and that doesn't have maybe a little bit of animation, it's like, and a local leader of the synagogue, Jairus, saw Jesus and fervently asked, my little daughter is dying. No, I need you to think about your kid, your niece, your nephew, your cousin, like, they are dying. You have tried any and everything you know how to try, and the only thing you know is there's this one dude who's kind of wrecking shop in cities, and he's healing people. P- 
people that can't walk are walking, people that can't see are seeing, people that can't hear are hearing, people that are dead are coming back to life, and he catches wind, Jairus catches wind, Jesus is in town. Now, mind you, he's a religious leader, meaning a lot of his people he hangs out with, they're upset with Jesus. Man, don't you dare go ask that guy for something. He's a problem. He's a blasphemer. He's a heretic. They don't like Jesus. And Jairus, in his desperation, finds himself at the feet of Jesus, crying out, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. This is crazy because Jairus is a religious person. These men were very, very good at wearing a mask. And I need you to see what happens when he's at the feet of Jesus. No mask. No mask. At the feet of Jesus, you will find that the mask can't stay. Even if you're a person that's built your life around wearing one, like Jairus. And he makes this confession. It says Jesus went with him, and all the people followed. Notice this, crowding around him. Other versions would say pressing up against him. Okay, I don't know if you've ever been in like a concert where people are up against you, but this is what we're talking about. Like people are, Jesus is not like, no one's make, it's not, it's not Moana, it's not make way, okay? That's not happening. Like, I mean, they are up next to Jesus, and it says this. So I need you to notice what you're about to read is an interruption. Jesus is on his way to heal a little girl, a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. We'll just leave it at that, but ladies, an issue for 12 years, okay? She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything, everyone say everything, she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. I'm just telling you the truth today is that when you wear a mask and you try to make everything better in your life and you spend all your energy and all your effort making people think you are something that you are not, you will find yourself realizing that you've spent all you've got, all your energy, all your mental capacity. You won't be any better. In fact, you'll find out that you're worse off than you were before. This woman has spent everything and says she got, had gotten worse. She heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Now again, I need you to think about this. And ladies, just you, you can kind of go to a different place. 12 years, 12 years. She touches and immediately knows something has changed. Like, I, I bet you in this moment, and, and notice she comes up behind him. Her posture is not Jairus' posture. Her posture is, there's a lot of people who think a lot of things about me. There's a lot of religious people, because I've tried for 12 years, who have probably called me cursed and done all sorts of things. And so her thought is, I just got to get through the crowd. I'm not trying to make any noise. I'm just going to hide behind all this insecurity and all this struggle. And if I could just touch him and be healed, I won't even make any commotion. And she gets healed. Praise God. Except I don't know if that's actually God's full desire. Notice what happens. Immediately the bleeding stopped. She could feel in her body. She'd been healed from the terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? This is a dumb question, Jesus. Everybody's touching you. Look at what the disciples say. He says, who touched, uh, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask? How could you even think that it would make sense to ask? Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Now, pause. Jairus is going, my daughter's about to die. Come on. 
come on, like hurry, like press through, make way. Jesus is going to heal my daughter. Someone touches Jesus, and Jesus is like, who touched me? Not only are the disciples like, bro, what are you talking about? Jairus is like, what do you mean? You are on your way to do something miraculous on my behalf. I, I was real. I, I, I put myself in, in, in a, a lot of difficult situations after this for what some of my religious colleagues are going to say. What people are going to think about me. I mean, I just voiced out loud at your feet that you could heal. And I've been told not to associate with you and that you're a blasphemer and a heretic and you don't even worship God. What do you mean who touched you? Stop getting distracted, Jesus. Focus. Anybody ever been there in life? Me, Jesus. Me. You love me. Remember? Focus, Jesus. Come on. Right here. Right here. Don't worry about her. She got her own issues. 12 years. If it hadn't been fixed by now, and as funny as that is, isn't it interesting that when we're, when we finally find ourselves in a place of desperation, desperation means nothing to Jesus if it postures yourself as selfish and not selfless. And so he could have very easily been frustrated in this moment. And notice what happened. So Jesus is looking around to see who touched him. It says, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. A more accurate, a more accurate translation says this, and she told him the whole truth. Now, let's just talk about a couple of things here. We got to pause. Um, there's another scripture where a boy is sick or he's, got, he's paralyzed. He can't get into the house where Jesus is at. And so his friends dig a hole in the roof and lower him through the roof, right? There's some religious people in the room. They're thinking some bad thoughts towards Jesus. And the Bible tells us Jesus, knowing their thoughts, responded to them. So Jesus is divine, yes? He's fully God, fully man, but he's divine. And so in this moment, Jesus asks a question that he very well, we have seen other scripture back up, he could know. He could know who did it. So why the question, who touched me? It reminds me of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, the only two on the planet at the time, humans, sin, and God walks through the garden going, where are you? Does he not know where they are? Or is it the fact that there is power when they'll finally reveal themselves before him? Because they were hiding. They were covering up. So here's the woman, just, just, just think with me for a second. Let's just play a little game if the scriptures like didn't go the way it went. And then we're going to talk about what the scripture actually says. I'm not making something up. Just stick with me. What if she did touch, healed, and snuck away and walked away? Got outside the city, was like, oh my gosh, I'm healed. You know, kind of got some makeup, some blush, and was like, let's go. I'm back, baby. Like, what if she did that? What would have happened to her life? She would have been healed. Would we agree? She would have been healed, but I think there's something she would have lacked, according to Jesus. Watch what happens. It says, so she comes, she tells the whole truth, and I love it because Jesus is the truth. Amen? He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And so she tells all the truth to the truth. He already knew the truth. He, he knows he's the truth. He knew the truth about her, but her freedom was wrapped up in taking her mask off, the mask of insecurity, the mask of what everyone thinks about me, the mask of I probably shouldn't even be in this crowd trying to touch you right now because I've been sick for so long that people consider me unclean. In culture, they would have considered her unclean, meaning if she would have touched a human in her uncleanliness, that person who got touched would have to be treated as unclean. Like just go ahead and, and just rewind back a couple years to COVID, right? 
One person coughs behind you at Dollar General when it's mask mandate. You're like, oh my God, I got it. It's all over me. I'm going to die right here at Dollar General, right? In that culture, it's like, dude, if you're unclean, you touch someone, that person becomes unclean. It's interesting that with Jesus, that's not how things work. With Jesus, when unclean touches him, they become clean. He doesn't become unclean. That's the power that he has. But the power wasn't just in that she was healed. The power was that she came and fell before him and was open and honest. And look what happens here. It says, and he said to her daughter, your, what's the next word? Faith. So if she would have snuck away, she would have snuck away healed. But she wouldn't have snuck away with faith. Staying around long enough to be open and honest actually revealed to her what it was that got healing to her. It was faith. She could have lived her whole life, I'm healed, I'm healed. Oh, you got one singular miracle, awesome. But faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. Like that is what matters. The Bible says that it's impossible to please God without faith. Her coming before Jesus didn't just get her a miracle, it built and gave her faith. And we don't live by sight, we live by faith. This is, this, is, this is what is required for the kingdom of God. He says, your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from Jairus' house. Don't forget, this is all an interruption. Jairus is like, hurry up. What are you doing? Woman, what are you doing in this crowd? You have no business being here. And so Jesus takes the interruption, which I just want you to know. Don't you ever paint this face and picture on God that you're a nuisance. He will stop for any interruption that you bring to him. And sometimes it will look like that which he was supposed to do. He dropped the ball. Look what happens. It says, um, while he was still speaking, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. God's too late. Jesus missed it. He had more concern for her than you. Very easy for Jairus in this moment to just be like, put the mask back on. So I never should, I never should have done it. I came to church on a Sunday. It was that, that message. I felt like what that pastor was saying was right to me, which, mind you, it means that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. But you came to the altar. You're like, I just had this moment. I, I started going to group. I started spending some time with people who really just helped me stir up my faith. But I was believing for something. And, and we thought it was going to happen, and it didn't happen. So God, just forget it. And you just put it back on. But sometimes what we think God missed, God was actually setting up for greater than what you asked for. Look what happens. It says, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Please notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke the people who are speaking fear and no faith. He looks at the one who had believed and said, don't you listen to them. You listen to me. Because they thought that I was going to come heal a sick girl. But I wanted to do something greater than that. And it says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. Uh, the, the brother of James, and when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing, meaning that people were outside the home. Jairus' daughter is inside. She's not only sick. Someone, while Jesus has been over there with dad, 
People are like, she stopped breathing. She's gone. Her skin's gone cold. She's dead. And so it's very common in this culture that weeping and wailing would happen. People would tear their clothes. They'd put on sackcloth. They'd put ashes. So this is already beginning right out the gate where culturally they're beginning to just mourn. And look what Jesus does. It says, when they came to the home, Jesus saw the commotion, the weeping and wailing. He went outside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And notice the crowd. The crowd laughed at him. I just need you to know, in this room right now, if there is a situation that is dead and looks out, just like there's no possible, there, there's no possibility of it being restored or redeemed, don't you ever look at Jesus and laugh, okay? Bad idea. He created life and he killed death. This is nothing for Jesus. And I love what happens the people laugh at him, and I just need you to know, most people will scoff and laugh at that which is supernatural when they hide behind the mask of doubt. Well, if God was really real, then my dad wouldn't have left me when I was four years old, so I'm just going to scoff at everything faith and religion, not knowing that their earthly father experience was not God, but the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God wants to give them a different perspective of a perfect, loving, good father. So the crowd laughs, but he made them all leave. I don't know how he did that. Uh, I know one time he walked into the temple with a whip, though, and he started flipping tables and kicking people out. So I don't know what he did, but I just know he made them all leave. He didn't ask them to leave. He made them leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Can I tell you, Jairus had gotten honest and real before Jesus. The mother, probably in the same place. He takes his disciples who are followers of him. Those are the only people allowed in the room. When do you put yourself in a room of people who are vulnerable, real, take the mask off, and get serious about their faith? How often do you do it? And if it's not often, I'm telling you, you will struggle to live out the God-given purpose on your life unless you find yourself in a room, even gathered around a difficult situation, going, we're just going to be honest. This is where we're at. This is what we're going through. But if you invite Jesus in the midst of it, I love this. It says, they're in the room and the girl was lying, holding her hand. He, meaning Jesus, said to her, Talitha kum, which in Aramaic means, little girl, get up. I can never read that statement and not think about Medea. I'm sorry. It's just like, little girl, get up. That's all I hear. And, and I just think that's probably how it happened. Um, don't theologically quote me on that. It's just how I read it. And the girl who was 12 years old, huh. 12. Does anybody else remember a 12? The woman, she had an issue for how many years? 12 years. It's interesting that when you really begin to dig in scripture, the number 12 is actually the, the number that represents, we can go all the way back, look at the 12 tribes, right? We know that there's the, the 12 apostles. The number 12 always represents God's divine order and governance. Jairus thinks, Jesus, you messed up. No, I was setting up something divine. I knew that a woman with 12-year issue, she wanted it healed at five years. But I knew the faith she would get after 12. I knew that your 12-year-old girl was sick, and I could have rushed straight there and healed her sickness. But you got to be in the room when the resurrection of the dead happened, meaning that when I come back to life and resurrect from the dead, when many people doubt, you won't doubt at all. You'll be one of the ones telling people, oh, no, he can do it. He did it for my little girl. There's no problem that he can resurrect himself. And it says... 
They were overwhelmed. Or no, it says, and the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up walking around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. The reason for that is because Jesus knows there's more time. He cannot get elevated. People are going to want to put him in a place of being the king naturally. And he knows I can't be the king naturally and die for you supernaturally. I've got to be the king spiritually. So he's like, don't, don't, don't make commotion about this yet. But I love at the end, like someone just received this right now in Jesus' name. Gave orders not to tell anyone what happened, and then he told them to give her a snack. Praise God. Sometimes when you're in the most difficult, dark situation of your life, and God resurrects something dead, and he brings new life, and he redeems and restores it, people are like, what are you going to do now? You're going to go to Disney? Oh, I'm going to go have a snack. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to go have a snack. And so I, I read this story, and I start thinking about the mask. And uh, there's a lot of different options for mask, but... Josh Brown told me he had this Mandalorian helmet, and I was like, yeah, we're going to do that. Um, I walked through the hallways earlier with this on, and can I tell you that if you're in this room today, and you've become really, really good at putting on a mask, what can happen is the longer you wear one, anybody um, at a job where only like recently you got to like take the mask off, like from COVID mask mandate? Yeah. You got so, like, some of you guys are champs, because, bro, I probably wore a mask, like, a handful of times throughout all that, just because, like, my job, season of life, all those kinds of things. And, dude, I put on my face and just itch the mess out of me. I just can't stand it. Just frustrated all the time. Some of you, it was like that, but then it was so repetitive that, like, did you ever find yourself outside forgetting that it was even on? Yeah. You find yourself, when you take it off, you're at work, you're like, oh, snap, that lady can see my facial expressions. I had learned to make her think she was funny with my eyes, but it wasn't with my face. <laughs> and what happens is we grow accustomed to wearing the mask. It becomes a part of who we are. I was walking through the hallway with this, and it's really not, can you hear me? It's really not the greatest mask to wear. First off, um, I think, like, Keegan is somewhere right here, but it's hard. I, can't, I can see, like, the top of a head. But I actually, like all this space, I can't see here, right? And I find it interesting with the mask when I'm reminded of the scripture where it says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But when I wear the mask, it doesn't actually allow me to see what he's lighting up. It doesn't allow me to see the next step because when I wear a mask, it actually affects my vision and the clarity of where God might be leading me. And so I meet people who are like, well, if God is so good, then how come I can't, why isn't he doing this stuff for my life? And sometimes it's the fact that even when I can't see it, he's working. And, and yes, there's a spiritual side of that, like, hey, you need to trust. But there's also another side of that that's like, bro, just take the freaking mask off. Of course you can't see that he's working. Because you've got yourself so covered up to be something that you're not, that you're missing the very thing that he's doing right in front of you. Not only that, um, you know, I walked around the hallway, but like my outfit doesn't quite do a great job to fit the Mandalorian description, right? We would have all been pretty disappointed if the Mandalorian was dressed in this getup on the show, if you've watched it. Um, so many times we're trying to be something not only that we're not, but that you don't even have the capacity to actually help uphold that kind of image. And, and I wrote a few things down because some of you think like, Oh, well, a mask is just like being a fake person. I'm not a fake person. I'm good. I love Jesus. Like, I'm all in. And the Spirit of God was speaking to me the other night, and he was saying some things like this. Remember, a mask is a disguise, a veil, or a false face. The worship team can come out. 
And I just want to give you a few of these things. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord today. But some of us, it's just masking insecurity. It's just the fact that there's things you're insecure about. It's not that you're not being the real you. It's just that your sense of humor is built in such a way that it's actually masking insecurity and pain that the way that you always respond sarcastically is because you're covering up for something that you don't want to be vulnerable about. Because again, I'm not, I'm not talking about like you've got, back in the day we used to call it finstas, like a fake Instagram. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm not talking about like you have some like totally different personality. I'm saying that some of us, there's a pain and a difficulty that happened when you grew up and you've lived your whole life masking it so long that you've become so used to the mask that you don't actually even know what it would be like to be vulnerable in that situation. Husbands and wives, I'll never forget throughout my, I've been married over 10 years, several men telling me, hey, John, you know there's just some things you can't tell your spouse. And I just remember going like, I rebuke that. Like culture told you that, not scripture. That's not God's heart. We become one flesh. And I'm not saying marriage is perfect. Sean and I are just like anyone else. We have struggles because it's two people becoming one. But I can just tell you, I'm not going to buy into the lie that I should wear a mask and make my wife think some things are okay and things are good and not be honest and real where I am and what I'm going through and vice versa. And for many of us, we can look at a situation and a difficulty and be like, well, it must not, it's just not going to work out when it's like, well, maybe it's not going to work out if you keep wearing that. You can't even see them clearly. You're so frustrated about the way they're treating you, totally missing that the way they're treating you is because of a past pain that never got dealt with. And now you've started coming to church and you're in the best place where you could be vulnerable and watch God restore and heal. Some of us wear the mask covering up regret. Stuff that it's like, man, I just really don't ever want to talk about all that stuff that I did then. And just to let you know, if you've said yes to Jesus, anything that you once regretted, he wants to restore in such a way that it can become a part of your story. Now, we don't praise all the the, the difficult things we walked through. But man, don't dare try to hide and mask these, these struggles and addictions and difficulties when there's a generation saying, is there any Christians that like royally screwed up? Is there anybody out here who just take the mask and be, oh, you were addicted to drugs. Thank you, because I thought every person that walked into church was like prim and proper and perfect. I met with someone just the other day that was like, dude, I just struggle to feel like I fit and connect because I, I sit around people who are like, who talk so spiritually, like, like uppity and like they got it. And he was like, dude, I don't read my Bible every day. Like that, that doesn't make sense to me. And what I want you to understand, especially here at Voyage Church, is this is not about of like, okay, I gotta check all these do. We want you to see Jesus clearly. And some of us can't because of what we're wearing. And, and I don't know who this is for, and I just really sense this so strongly. We stand to your feet today. There's some of us in the room Notice what happens in the scripture. Jairus runs up and falls at the feet of Jesus and just says, teacher, my daughter's sick, will you come? He completely takes the mask off of all the religiosity and the fact that like he should not be going up to a man like this or engaging with him and he's just willing, just mask off at the feet of Jesus. The woman though does it a little bit different. 
I, I'll, I'll come to church. I'll stand in the back. Makes me feel a little bit better. Like, I got, I got a little bit of something. I, I'll try it again next week if I'm not too busy. And notice, something happens, and she's like, oh, my gosh. This is incredible. This is insane. And she goes to walk away. But when God does something miraculous in your life, he'll literally begin calling out, where are you? No, 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 don't let that be the final step. The final place is at my feet. And notice where the woman ends up. So Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus before the miracle, which I would encourage you to let that be your posture. But the woman tried to just get a little healing and dip. And she ended up at the feet of Jesus after the miracle. All I'm saying is, is that at the feet of Jesus, the mask comes off. And, and I sense as I was praying the other day, there's someone in here, maybe someone's. And Jonathan, he didn't even know what he was saying because Holy Spirit was speaking to me last night. And earlier you were talking about the busy, 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 go, go, go. The pace of life. Someone posted this thing the other day, like Halloween's tomorrow and then Thanksgiving's in four weeks and then in 10 weeks it's Christmas. Like what in the world? Like just boom, 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 boom. And there's some of us that our mask is actually that. You're really good at being busy. You're really good, even Christian, of hanging out, creating, hey, let's hang out. Let, let, let's worship. Let, let's do this. Let's go here. And you keep yourself so busy with the things of God and the people of God that you don't remember the last time you and God. Because you know in that moment, as Jonathan alluded to, some of the difficult voices start showing up. But if you'll take the mask off in his presence, there's another voice. There's another voice. And it's God's voice saying, hey, I see you. I, I know you think I missed doing that miracle, but I'm doing something greater. Hey, hey, don't just touch and get a healing and disappear. Come back to my feet and let me let you know that your faith is growing right now. Let me look you in the eyes. It's not just, I went to church, but I, I don't even think I've got enough value. No, no, you have value. Value before God, value before people. And if you're in this room today, I sense that there's someone, the busyness of your life is your mask. I'm just busy. I can't do a group during the week. I just can't. I'm telling you right now that in his church, what Jesus died for, in the community, the kingdom of God, some of us are so fearful of what will happen if I truly show who I really am, the thoughts that I really think, what I'm really battling, what I'm really doubting. And can I tell you, the enemy wants you to keep fearing that. Because if he does, he's got you locked up. But can I tell you, is there anybody in this room who maybe your testimony is you took the mask off and you got real and Jesus did something? Is there anybody in here today? I just want you to look around if you're in here today going, I don't know, look at hands. People are saying, no, I took the mask off. I got free. I took the mask off of my addiction, my sexual addiction, my drug addiction. I got open and honest with somebody and I got set free because taking the mask off is not shame on you. Taking the mask off is shame off of you. You're free, you're healed, you're renewed, you've got faith, you're restored because at the feet of Jesus, everything changes. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.